0: Ah, good morning. Uh, it's a little bit later in the morning here. It's Sunday, late August. It's actually going to be a warm day, but it was a nice day. So, uh, today, well, I was going to mention it yesterday, but I want to talk about walking meditation. Or kamkama. Kamkama. In Sanskrit. Uh, Interestingly, the word, if you go back to Pankrit or Sanskrit, it means walking and to go about. But it's the physical act alone, which I find very interesting. Now, the reason why I'm talking about it is because we're trying to expand our practice, obviously, and I've always been pushing uh, people to look at, right, it's not sitting, it's not walking, it's not walking or sitting, it's, it's neither and it's both, that idea. I'm going to get to these quotes here. I'm not just pulling them out of thin air. Right? The idea, just about any early sutra, you're going to see the idea is to bring this practice. Practice of awareness, mindfulness, uh, insight, and calmness, calm abiding, and uh, and introspection. However you want to call it. The practice. The practice of jhana. Um uh training the mind right and and there is again as chury says there's no end to entries to this practice of training the mind but there's a few that have been around since the dawn even before in the vedic tradition okay but what i found is i was as i've mentioned before trying to help the wife learn this from someone other than myself And uh, so I'm looking at the walking meditation because we've been walking twice a day, and I thought, hey, wouldn't it be great to bring this practice for her um, to the walking, right? Because we're going to try a sitting practice to see if it'll benefit her again. Because this is your shortcut to this stillness, right? If you can't bring this um, mind training, this uh, dispassionate, intense observation of reality and your mind, obviously. If you can't bring that into everyday life, then the shortcuts are to sit. But there is also other sittings. If you can't sit, you can lie down. If you can't lie down, you can stand. If you can't stand, well, if you can't stand, (laughs) you're going to have to lie down or sit. But if you can't, uh, well, honestly, it goes back to a combo. Just like Bodhidharma taught, the monks just sat too much. They got sick and he started to teach them Qigong. Qigong, an energy, um, you know, it's come to mean uh, an energy, a chi development practice, but it's just movement, right, karma, action, get out there and do it, right, so here I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to take uh, this into our walking, which for me would be just, you know, sati, uh, karma, okay, sati, action, you see that root there, karma, single M though. Not double M in Pali or Pakrit. Kama, Karma. Right? In this case, it's Krama. I don't know. I see a similarity. Right? Action. It's just a form of it. Right? So I thought I could bring this to our walks. Right? And I said, hey, why not? Since we have a hard time. I said, I've had a hard time sitting. Try to bring my mindfulness in everything I do, obviously. But sitting. Just sitting. uh, Being... Like I said, suffering from uh, chronic fatigue and pain, ah, and I'm going to get to that. Why I mentioned both—it's a little tough to sit. A little tough to sit because um, again, I suffer from something can approach narcolepsy, um, and then the pain itself is just ever present, right? And it's not like it's a discomfort that comes and goes. This is a resident uh, that I that I uh, must make room for. So. What am I getting at? So I'm watching some videos. I mean, a a monk from the Theravadan tradition. But I mean, he answered some questions that would usually be a stumper for many of these um, gentlemen on the internets. But no, no, he answered them very well. So I go and look at his instruction for meditation and he did a pretty good job. He oversimplifies it, right? He uses um, Anapanasati. Anapanasati. Uh, and then um, just mindfulness of the body itself, both of which uh, are very, very old, but also as I've mentioned, flowed from the Theravadan Pali tradition, Sanskrit Pali tradition all the way into Asia proper. But why do I mention it? Well, because yeah, he simplified Um, and again I can excuse that because he's trying to help people, so he says things like, "When you're sitting there, right? You're supposed to uh, watch your abdomen rise, and you say rising, and as it falls, you say falling." But doesn't explain the importance of pranayama, or the breathing itself, why you want to breathe, and then the counting, how important counting goes back. So he could just simplify it and just explain people, as I've explained um, in the Zen tradition, they would count their breaths. I prefer to actually use uh, more of a, a breath. Uh, timing, right? So you're breathing in and you give maybe do a count or just even a mantra as you breathe in and then hold it for a count of four, for example, because you don't want to be rushing it. Exhale on another mantra and hold it for four, a count of four, or a count of three. A count of four um, is what I do, but now that I'm thinking of it, there's a lot of threes. So it'd be kind of cool, I guess, but neither here nor there. Why do I mention this? Why do I mention it? Because a lot of oversimplification. Right? You want know, abdomen rise fall, not mentioning the importance of breathing. Importance of breathing. Not mentioning again that sitting itself is a shortcut. Counting of the breath is a shortcut. Using the body as your insight. Um, again, it's a shortcut. Same as mantras. Same as mudras. Incense offerings. All designed to tie up that brain of yours. Right. So what did I find? Again, just trying to show the wife, hey, you know, there's this other thing called uh, walking meditation. Right? So I pull it up and literally it is the most, um, what's the word I would be looking for here? Restrictive, right? Almost an obstruction to knowables, right? You have to hold your hands a certain way or this way or that way. But, but it has to be one of those three ways. And your, your, your thumb must be here and this and this. And now your feet must be a certain placement and you must walk a certain distance, but not too far or no further than 25 paces, but no less than 17 paces. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the actual? I mean, come on. Where does it say in there that it's the physical act of walking alone, but not too far, but don't have your feet too far apart? No. And he does explain it. It's like, okay, I'm walking and my feet. It's that's it. it. But instead of, again, it's a reverse. So he's telling us when you're walking, don't have your feet too far apart and hold your hands a certain way and do this and do that. So just like the mantras, if you're counting how many mantras you do in a day, you're actually you're actually attaching to the mantra as opposed to allowing the mantra to help you detach, right, from that... Um, Conditional mind. You're just reinforcing that conditional mind. So the same is when I'm looking at this walking, right? He wants us to do it in a very specific way, and I'm thinking, what? But it's funny because he initially did mention, unlike many, did mention that you know if you're if you can't sit, then you know you can lie down, and yet this is where the pain and the fatigue comes in, and yet he tell a story. The Chinese have a story, and he told a story. It was very similar. I'll tell the Chinese story. Um, the the story is that a gentleman came on retreat, and he was he, he found discomfort, and he was you know, and the Zen monk just said, "Just give it till tomorrow, Your pain will go away." And that happened for nine days of the ten, and on the tenth day, oh, his pain went away. Well, that's why I mention it. Right? We have to worry about some resident issues. I mean. I take great issue with my illness being a source uh, or the root of my illness is karma, action. So what did I do? I guess I grew up uh, on a radioactive uh, air base. So I guess that was my fault, being born to a military family and having grown up on, a, on an uh, on air base and uh, having been in proximity to uranium from most of my childhood, I'm not sure how that's my karma, but the way they argue it is that I attached to negative energy from a previous life, therefore I was born into this negative family. I don't like to see it that way, because again, uh, we're going to talk about bodhicitta possibly limiting an individual's liberation, this is a new thing I've been bouncing around, but what am I talking about when it relates to meditation? I just did a podcast talking about obstacles to nobles. And so here I'm just looking for a simple instruction for the wife to show, hey, what's walking meditation? It should just be you're walking and you're doing nothing but walking. But no, I see all these silly rules. So what did I do? I said, forget it. I'm listening to the Buddha. Uh, The Buddha told me anything that's stupid, just leave it. And I will right? Because it's not just the Theravadin tradition. It's not just something that's a modern misinterpretation. It's not even something um, that's specific to this monk. It'll even go back a thousand years that they had this weird, weird specific idea as to what walking might be. Now, if you look at the chants, this is what I tried to do. I tried to look up the Chan tradition of walking. Uh, They have a rich tradition of walking, but Believe it or not, there's not a lot of information on there. They have a very specific way they walk, but uh, depending on the tradition, or I should just say the lineage, right? Because there's, right? It can it can be Chan, but separate. It could be North or South, and um, depending on the tradition, they have uh, an excellent walking base. So they'll go half walking, half sitting, which is traditional, and it's it goes back um, to the dawn of this but they will actually teach them, right? You walk a certain way not to tie up your mind and make sure you're walking a certain way. The idea is for it to all become mindless, right? Mindless is in the minds, not there new, purely physical. Allowing you um, to be still in the mind or tie up the mind just depending at the point you're in. So for me... Again, coming from a military tradition, I've found it perfect if you think about marching, right? When we're first trying to teach someone to march, we try to of course we've got to teach them their left from their rights, but for tempo and so that you stay on task and it also becomes a kind of a zen meditation, right? Your left, your left, your left, your left, right, left, your left, right? This idea that it becomes a pattern, right? It's not designed for you to fixate too much. The idea is for you to no longer have to think about it, right? Your body just gets in that pattern of left, right, left, right, left, right. And they don't do that, the simple left, right? Because it's far too easy to get distracted. So what they add is this pattern. you left, you left, your left, right, left, left. Right? This idea of maybe switching it up a little bit. But the idea is for it to become um, you know, muscle memory. Right? So that you no longer have this volition or any of these thoughts. Right? So what I was hoping to carry in our morning walk was this same idea. Simply focus on your steps. Right, turn it into a mantra, or focus on the mantra, not to be wandering and looking. And overall, it was it was absolutely a success. I would say because, I mean, we walked for about an hour. We didn't obviously focus for the entire hour, but I'm sure we got a good 30 minutes in, right? And within those 30 minutes, again, the teaching is not the sustained um, because you're always trying to re- return yourself to, to the now, to focus, to awareness. So the idea was just, again, it's this practice, it's this learning, right, to to get there, right? That's, like I said, you sit away in a corner somewhere, a quiet little corner on a cushion, so you reduce all of these distractions, right? Painful butt, you know, cramps in the knees and the legs, and all this sort of jazz, right? So same with the walking. I'm not going to limit us uh, to, we can only walk so far, we have to walk as... No, what I want us to focus on is what we can, and then maybe grow that uh, into other areas. So for me, just focused left, right, left, right. Maybe eventually you can actually add a mantra to that. I considered maybe bringing a Bluetooth speaker so that we could uh, have a mantra and make kind of a pace. But as I was saying, the focus was, we seemed to benefit a little bit from it, but my main focus initially was thinking, if we stop distracting ourselves, Maybe we can actually get in some exercise, right? Instead of ticking off a box, oh, we did our walk. Maybe you can really come home and see some benefits. Again, right? Uh, a sum greater than its, than its uh, parts. Right. so in this case, just us walking, but you get the benefit of focus. You get the benefit of establishing the new. Plus, you can uh, maybe get some exercise, which... For me, seems to work. Corona has just killed me because the, the, um, the dim, gym shut down. And I mean, it's the only thing that kept me going for the most part. So here we are, right? Looking at walking meditation. Kham, uh, uh, Krama or Kham, uh, Kama. Uh, the physical act of walking. And I'll go through this and you'll hear references when they mention you need to do it this way, this way, or that way. Right? Arguably, if your only goal is to do walking meditation, then I argue you're wasting your time, right? Because if you're walking 20 paces back and forth for 30 minutes or an hour, well, couldn't you be doing something else? I mean, you could actually do that walking meditation, walk to the well, and bring back a bucket of water every time. So you're actually helping. At the same time, you can establish that focus, right? That's Samadhi, right? Train the mind, Dhyana. So for me, I find it absolutely ridiculous that once again, we're seeing these obstacles to knowledge being put in place, not by the practice itself, but by a misunderstanding of the meaning, the message, the goal, right? The goal is not to walk in a certain way. The goal is to walk in a certain way to distract the mind To allow yourself to see beyond the walking, the ground, the feet, right? So you can say rising and falling. But all you're doing is focusing too much on the conditional reality, right? The idea is for this to just kind of fall to kind of a white noise in the background, right? You observe your breathing. But at once it just becomes almost a separate act from the mind, allowing you to see beyond the conditional reality that we tend to all be bound by. So, on that note, end of first segment. The next segment is I'm actually going to read quotes from uh, the very recently translated, uh, what's called Clear Serenity, Quiet Insight by Paul L. Swanson. Uh, It's actually a translation of Trees, more Chiguan. And it's about 2,500 pages long. Uh, Still haven't been able to get through it all. But uh, I've read a number of sections that have been translated from the book and a number of sections of uh, Swanson's translations. And I'm actually going to draw from Ajahn Brahm as well, uh, the Theravadin, the Theravadan tradition of walking meditation. So on that note, break. And next, we're going to read. There we go. So we're going to continue on here, and uh, in no particular order as to what I'm going to quote from. I thought I would quote first from Gentai Master Churya preface to, oh sorry, the preface to the essentials for practicing calming and insight in dhyana meditation. So what he says is, uh, as for dharma of nirvana, there are many paths of entry into it. However, if we discuss those which are crucially essential, they do not go beyond the two dharmas of calming and insight. So what is he talking about? Calming Shamatha, or samatha, uh, samatha, uh, constitutes the initial method through which one is able to suppress the fetters. I mean, that's Insight, vipassana, is the primary essential through which one is able to cut off the delusions. Calming, then, is the wholesome provision in which, with which one kindly nurtures the mind and in consciousness. Insight, then, is the marvelous technique which stimulates the development of spiritual understanding. Calming is the supreme cause for the manifestation of dhyana absorption. Insight is the origin of wisdom. Now they divide this up because again it's, like I've said many times before, the two sides of a coin. You don't separate the two. You can't do one without the other and get the, uh, the benefit, right? But again, what they're talking about here is why vipassana is talked about much more than shamatha. Shamatha pre-existed in the Vedic tradition. It was the vipassana or the insight or the special insight. Um, into the nature of reality and the soul and that's what differentiates Buddhism and so I'm going to go on I'm going to read from the same book this is The Essentials of Practicing Calming and Insight in Dhyana Meditation by uh, Sramana Chury from 538 to 597 CE um, a contemporary Bodhidharma and he says uh, so what does he say here so he says, as for the cultivation of calming and insight, there are two modes. The first is calming while sitting. The second is cultivating or cultivation while moving through objective conditions and as one relates to the objective sphere. So he says, as for the first mode, the cultivation is one uh, cultivates calming and insight while sitting. Although it is true, this can be accomplished in any of the four deportments. So what are the four deportments? Four deportments are considered walking, standing, sitting, and lying down. Right? It's every state in which we live. And then he goes on and talks about how to, uh, to find the balance in these. And I'm just going to break down. And he breaks down, he calls them the four simanis, but he breaks them down as I said. Let's jump ahead to what he breaks them down to here. So the methods of practice are numerous, but briefly speaking, there are four categories. So this is, again, uh, oh nice, because he mentions the Lotus Sutra. quotes also, behold the children of Buddha, cultivating various practices thus seeking the Buddhist path. Once again, it's not strictly sitting. So here I'm going to quote from Clear Serenity uh, Quiet Insight, uh, a very recent translation of Chiri's Mohor Chikwan by Paul L. Swanson. So here I'm reading from page 244. Uh, The section is the four Samadhis, as I said. Arguably, we could consider them the four Dhyanas, but uh, the four samadhis, technically as Chiu-Yi himself points out, means concentration or one-pointedness of mind. Right? So he breaks them down as, t- one, constantly sitting. Two, constantly walking. Three, both walking and sitting, and neither walking nor sitting. Really, really strange, right? What, What is this a reference to? Well, if you remember, particularly in the Chinese, they really enjoy that Uh, It's not this, it's not that, it is this, it is that, it's neither this nor that, it's both this and that. It's that same, you know, right? So it's that idea here of carrying this into everything and everywhere. Nowhere in that do you read, well, only when you're specifically walking for jhana or absorption. You should be carrying this always, okay? So the constantly walking samadhi, now this is a little further on in the book, And he says the second of the four samadhis is constantly walking samadhi. First, I will discuss the method for practice, then add the exhortations to cultivate this samadhi. He says the discussion of method consists of what should be done and what should not be done with regards to the body, when and what to speak, and when to be silent with regards to uh, speech, and cessation and contemplation with regard to the mind. He says this method Dharma, again, here's Dharma as everything, is from the Prachipana Samadhi Sutra translated as Buddhist Standing. Again, there's also the practice of Standing Meditation. There are three aspects to Buddhist standing. Oh, by the way, that's neither sitting nor standing. That's a reference to neither sitting nor walking. Sorry, is a reference to standing and not sitting, not walking. It's a reference to lying down. That's later in the book, but as I said, I just want to give you an example of these four Categories as they go, right? So he says, one, the exalted power of the Buddhas, two, the power of samadhi, and three, the power of the practitioner's fundamental virtuous qualities. Okay? So, one, the exalted power of the Buddhas, that's what you're listening to. Buddham saranam, gachami. I go to the Buddha for refuge. That's your shraddha. That's your faith and commitment in the prescription, so that you know if you tie up your brain, whatever you're doing, you're gonna receive this peace. What is that peace? That's two, the power of samadhi. To achieve or reside in is the power of samadhi to bring that peace. And three, the power of the practitioner's fundamental virtuous qualities. How your virtuous qualities is to minimize, minimize the ego. It's to observe reality dispassionately And at the same time, with intent. It's that Noble Eightfold Path, the Sama actions of right thought, right speech, right action, and right effort, right contemplation, and right intention, right? And so, I'm going to go on. And strictly, kind of a backwards sort of way, I'm going to read the actual definition to walking meditation, which in Chinese is qingxing, or jingxing. Jing In Japanese, it's kyogyo or kin In French, les exercices de détente. It's really funny. It's, in French, it just means the exercise of uh, removal or separation. I mean, it's quite interesting. right? It doesn't mention even walking. In Sanskrit, it's ganjkrama. Uh, in Pali, or pakrit, kam-kama and the definition is as follows to walk slowly and quietly in meditation the strictly regulated periods of walking slowly in meditation between sessions of sitting in meditation to help alleviate the stress from sitting for long periods of time this practice called kinhin in Japanese Zen circles today, uh, continues today in Zen temples that emphasize sitting only. That's not the first definition that says that. It sounds kind of counter um, counterintuitive that they're sitting only but they actually uh, break it up with walking. I mean you're starting to see the hypocrisy here. And in French it says la lecture propre, zen a So proper in, uh, in school uh, the proper lecture or term is kin-hin. Ce terme désigne le déambulation de détente dans les intervalles entre exercices de méditation. It's really quite funny because it's almost an opposite here. So it says it's a term that designates um, the act of separating oneself right, in the intervals between the exercises of meditation. I find that kind of funny. Neither here nor there. So I thought I'd just round it up with what uh, our good man Ajahn Brahm says of walking meditation. So once again... We're looking at uh, the Theravadin tradition, but again, he seems to have a more open approach to it. So walking is wonderful, especially in the early morning. Often, when you get up in the morning, in particular when you're not used to getting up so early, you're quite tired and the mind isn't bright. One of the advantages of walking meditation is that you—pardon me—is that you can't nod off while you're walking. So if you're tired, walking meditation is very good to do. And he goes on and he says walking meditation was both praised and practiced by the Buddha. If you read the suttas, uh, you'll find that the Buddha would usually do walking meditation in the early morning. He wouldn't be sitting, he'd be walking. Many monks and nuns have become enlightened on the walking meditation path. It's a very effective way of developing both calm and insight. He says, but not to the extent of jhana. Here's the beginning of his his own hypocrisy. For some monks that I know in Thailand, their main practice is walking meditation. They do very little sitting, they do a lot of walking, and many get tremendously powerful insights while they're walking. Another benefit of walking meditation is it's especially suitable for those who have physical discomfort. Don't consider walking meditation as a second-class meditation. If you want to spend most of your time, please do so. Right? And then he goes on and talks about, uh, as I said, setting up a very specific corridor for your walking. Right? I'm not saying just carry this, uh, you know, focus, this calm abiding and insight that you uh, have experienced in your sitting. Or if you're unable to sit and you want to experience this calm abiding in sitting, why not try it in. Um, uh, in, in a walking practice. But again, as I said, he goes on and he starts saying, well, you've got to set up a particular... Right here he goes. Uh, Choose a clear, straight path between 20 and 30 paces long. This can be a corridor in the house or a path in the garden. I mean, it makes perfect sense. If your goal is to do nothing but to walk and to focus the mind and achieve that samadhi, I think that's great. But again, what I find tends to be a, burial, a barrier to these uh, knowables is how many people are going to be distracted by counting the mantras or the steps or making sure they're stepping just right, um, right or not stepping wrong, or did I put my right foot forward first or too much or too little, when the real goal is to tie up that monkey mind, not give it more things uh, to worry about, right? So once again, for us, I'd say um, we're just going to be like the Buddha and we're going to carry uh, our stillness, our dhyana, our practice, our samadhi, hopefully, into everything we do. Uh, but in this case, we're going to try to be a little more conscious or mindful, of, even, <laughs> of what we choose to do. So again, we're going to try to explore a sitting practice. We're already exploring a walking practice, um, a standing practice. I actually do whenever I wait in line being Canadian that's often and then a lying down practice again with my chronic fatigue yikes that's a scary thought Um, I have tried it a number of times I find uh, just trying to stay awake uh, the most difficult and then honestly what I find about lying down practice particularly uh, for say the, the neophyte or someone like me with chronic fatigue I find Telling the difference between stillness or absorption and that bardo, that between state, between sleep and awake. Being able to differentiate between a trance state and a fallen asleep state. I mean, I don't think I'm there yet. Uh, so I just tend to fall asleep. So, on that note, um, I guess uh, I really can't get any feedback on this, but. Hopefully, I've shared with people the idea of the obstacles tend to be the practice itself. I mean, I see regularly. In fact, I saw a post on a social media that is over a week old, and they're still talking about it. And the kid just is, am I I facing the right direction when I'm meditating? And I even saw a recent comment of someone who said, well, I face a certain wall, and I may point my legs in a certain way, and, and so I can fix... Great. He did mention it helps with his posture. But if he's always sitting in a certain way, well, what happens when he's out and about and he's in a traffic jam and there's a horrible, I don't know, he gets a phone call. He's stuck in a traffic jam and, you know, there's a horrible emergency he's got to get to. But he's got to remain calm and present because, you know, he can't deal with the situation as of yet. So what is he going to do? Get out of his car and... I don't know, set up a wall on the side of the highway and point his legs a certain... No, the idea is for us to carry this practice into our everyday lives. It's not, it's not an idea of uh, looking at a shortcut and then the short come, sh- shortcut becomes our practice. We've talked about always challenging oneself, right? So it is difficult initially to sit even in a quiet little corner it is difficult to try to not focus on how you're sitting or where you're sitting. So yes, you can use things uh, efficient means upaya to help get you there, right? You can face a wall just like Bodhidharma is accredited with uh, the biguan. Biguan is a Chinese word for wall facing, but that's not what it's about. The idea is to be like you're facing a wall, right? It's what I told you it goes back to the Yijing or the Vedas, right? It's to observe this conditional reality dispassionately but intently, right? That's your big one, your wall gazing as we attribute the Bodhidharma or what your Yi would simply call that's your Samadhi. When you achieve a state that is not dissimilar from staring at a wall that could be your Samadhi right your calm uh, awareness and aware insight your discerning insight and your calm abiding right cuz that's what tiry talks about he's got a list of things we need right we need mindfulness smirti, sati focus we need to remember we need vigor right prana energy right that's that not just a commitment but to have such faith in the prescription that it, it energizes us, right? Not just, not just for our meditation, but to be able to weather difficult times, times that we would usually classify as good or bad, um, whether the end of good or whether the height of bad, right? This is this focus, this power, this skill in means, right? We don't want to be sitting. You want to be challenged. If sitting in a quiet room facing a certain way is still challenging challenging to you, then by all means. But please have in mind that you want to develop that practice into a, a richer, richer uh, experience, right? You want to be able to, I mean, as uh, a great question was asked, um, distractions, right? It is absolutely some of the hardest things to do, as he mentioned, uh, particularly to meditate in a room full of people talking. Because there's really nothing like people talking uh, to pull you out of that absorption, right? Nothing like people talking and all of their mental, you know, all of their mental volitions and all these, you know, latent impressions floating around kind of gives birth to your own or even just stirs up these emotions, these feelings, the skandhas. So some of the toughest things. That's why when you look at the Heart Sutra, it talks about um, Bodhisattva, Avilo cruising in the Prana Paramita. Because that's what our goal is, right? To no longer have to spend every waking moment of the day sati, remembering that all this stuff is designed just to distract us from the real goal. I mean, it's, it can become tiring, right? Once again, that's where that vigor is required, right? It's faith and commitment, right? But neither here nor there. I just wanted to uh, share an observation. I mean, we started researching on, way, hey, what's walking meditation? And it ended up, um, I mean, almost coinciding with the previous uh, looking at obstacles to nobles. Right, for me, it seems that uh, we have put uh, unnecessary obstacles in our way to such a simple practice. Right, I mean, there's no reason why, uh, especially in the time of uh, Rona, that many of us are out walking anyways, just to keep from having a heart attack. Why can't we bring that that uh, calm abiding and, and clear insight, or quiet abiding and and calm insight, or clear insight, calm abiding. No reason why we can't bring that stillness into every aspect of our life. Right? As tree said, sitting, walking, not sitting, not walking, both sitting and walking. It's weirdness, 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 weirdness. But the idea is simple. Uh, we're just supposed to try to stay focused and not uh, encourage that monkey mind, right? I mean, like I didn't get to. I mean, the walk, um, you can have just as many objects of focus, right? But at the same time, obviously, many more objects of distraction. So if you need to have a 30-paced little walking and you're turning and you're walking and you're walking and you're turning and you're turning and you're walking and you're walking and you're walking fine but once again i argue it's better to carry that focus into all of your activities and in this case if it can be two if it can be both exercise and in our case um uh what would i say here uh strengthening our relationship our partnership as well as uh, a practice strengthening our own um focus, awareness, our jhana, right? We're training the mind. I see no reason why we can't do that. I mean, I try to do it in everything we do. I've even used an example of, I remember once when I used to do a lot of driving, I remember once coming back from out west on a 22-hour journey. And not just a little moment, but I'm telling you I lost a good half hour. Right? scared the, the bejesus out of me, Right? As it should, right? Because, I mean, that was 35 years ago before I had really come to understand that, I mean, the the Buddhist philosophy here uh, is 100% uh, a modern psychology, right? When we get into that trance state that we talked about that uh, oh, actually uh, originated from the Joe Rogan experience. If you remember, we were talking about those bardos, the between-states, right? The three states within the living, the state of awakeness, right? State of being asleep, dream state, and then, of course, that between-state. They're all between-states, but <laughs> the particular between-state in this case, between sleep and awake, sometimes called a trance or a meditative state, right? Not identical. As many people will go into that state and be um, um, passengers, rather than uh, the charioteer. Uh, but this, this is our goal, right? Our goal is not to do it perfectly, right? Our goal is, again, as I said, uh, I paraphrase when I say, sentient beings are numberless, as are the entries to the Dharma of Nirvana. So that means there are no two uh, efficient means, or upaya, there's no two paths identical. Every individual must find their own way. Uh, Otherwise, we're just going to be looking at obstacles everywhere we look. So on that note, have a lovely day.